0: Jesus House, in pursuit of God, discovering purpose, maximizing potential, impacting lives. This message is being brought to you from Jesus House, London. God bless you. And so, Father, we just want to thank you and bless you for... um, your faithfulness as we delve into your word. Breathe upon it, Heavenly Father. Let it challenge us and let it motivate us. Uh, let it chastise us where necessary. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Just, just in case I forget, um, talking about community. Um, there are many things we'll be doing um, over the summer to encourage uh, community, so please take advantage of them. Um, things we'll be doing where people can come with their families um, and, and build stronger, a stronger community. Um, amongst such things, um, uh, twice in the month of August, uh, we'll be converting this place into a, a movie theater. Um, and we'll, we'll, we'll have all the hot dogs and all the stuff out there. Um, and it's a wonderful opportunity to come out as a family um, on a day that isn't a Sunday. Uh, to watch a movie together, and all the fellowshipping and the building of relationships, meeting new people that takes place. So please remember that you want to note those dates. The first one is being spearheaded and sponsored by our Connect Groups. Um, and it's the, it's the movie Courageous, and it's, it's a beautiful family movie to, to see and so you want to bring the, the, ki- the kids and you, you want to invite your friends and let them invite their friends um, on the 12th of August. And then on the 26th of August, um, it's the movie The Wait." Uh, the Wait was, was um, um, produced, written and produced by uh, a friend of ours in the house. One of Pastor Denrily's closest friends and someone I've known um, since I was a young teenager. Uh, thereabouts, uh, and, you know, she, she's, she's achieved so much uh, in in her chosen profession as a businesswoman and entrepreneur, and um, she stepped down, and one of the things she did was to turn her, her attention to more creative things, and so she wrote this movie, which um, I think when we show it here, it will be the first time, I think, it's been shown in the UK. It's doing its rounds around the world, but this will be the first showing in the UK. So, yeah, you want to note those dates, the 12th of August and the 26th of August. There'll be a bit more information about that. Well, let's go to the Word of God. We are continuing from where we stopped last week. If you were in church last week, we that we shared a message uh, uh, around uh, the, the, the theme was the silent killer. Um, and we talked about, of course, in the natural sense, we talked about high blood pressure being the silent killer, uh, but we also talked about a spiritual dimension to that, uh, where if we don't deal with it, it could also have the same effects Uh, In a spiritual sense, Um, the crux of the message centered around the heart um, and how we must protect our hearts. And so we want to carry on from there with today's message. If you want a title for today's message, um, it's Avoiding a Fatal Heart Attack. Avoiding a Fatal Heart Attack. Now, Solomon, as we know, is one of the wisest men that have ever lived on the face of the earth. And in Proverbs the fourth chapter and the 23rd verse, he says this as he refers to the heart. And I want to read it in a few translations just so that we can get the import of what he says, because that is really the, the foundation of what I will be talking to you about. He says, Proverbs 4 verse 23, the New King James Version of the Bible says, keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. He says, keep your heart with all diligence. Keep it, uh, um, because out of your heart spring the issues of life. Uh, The issues of life come from your heart. So Solomon's instruction is keep your heart. The New Living Translation says, guard your heart above all else, for it determines the cause of life. So one translation says, the issues of life flow from it. Everything to do with life comes from it. Another one says, it determines the cause of life. That your heart determines where we go in life, what direction we take in life, what decisions we make in life. And so, the instruction is, guard it above all else. It really is priority. It's number one. Above all else, guard it. For it determines the cause of life if anyone is concerned about the cause of life what direction their life w- should go then they must understand that they must guard their hearts uh, the passion translation says it in a bit more graphic language it says so above all above every other thing again priority number one thing above all guard the affections of your heart for they affect all that you are yeah all that I am, all, 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 all that you are, the totality of our person comes from that place, our heart. So the Bible says, God protect the affections of your heart. It goes on to say, pay attention to the welfare of your innermost being. Uh, that tells us that apart from what we see, there's, a, there's another part of you, your innermost being— it says, pay attention to the welfare of your inner, innermost being, for from there flows the wellspring of life, yeah? And it's a very graphic picture. If you don't protect the wellspring of life and the wellspring gets polluted or contaminated, it will affect what comes out of it. So pay attention to it, protect it, guard it, be diligent concerning it. And the New International Version says, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Now, you get the importance of the heart. It, from it, the issues of life come. It determines the cause of your life. It's the wellspring of life. Everything you do flows from it. So, above all else, guard it. Now, when we see that at first... The natural tendency is to think of our human heart. This uh, muscle in, our, in us that the doctors tell us is on the left side of our chest. It's the size of, of a fist. It's critical to the function of, of a human being. It ensures that blood is pumped through the circulatory system around the body. The blood that is pumped from this muscle carries oxygen and other nutrients without which the body will just simply shut down. That's why when there's, a medical, when there's a medical situation, the first thing they want to check is your pulse. And why are they checking your pulse? They're trying, they trying to see whether you are alive because once your heart stops beating, it's over, you are dead. But then the heart we're talking about is not this heart. This heart that can sometimes have challenges where it can become diseased. And if that is not dealt with, it can flow into pretty serious stuff, an, an angina, uh, a stroke, a, a heart attack, and sometimes, sadly, a fatal heart attack. But that's a physical heart. That's not the heart that Solomon is talking about when he says, guard, protect, keep, be diligent above all else. This is the most important thing. He's not talking about this this physical heart, this muscle that is pumping blood around our bodies. He's talking about a spiritual heart. What is that spiritual heart? Well, the Bible gives us an idea. It talks about your innermost being, your inner man, it's what I call the central processing system of every human being, the command center of every human being. It's that place of, uh, of the mind, the will, and the emotions, the place where decisions, life decisions are made, the place where things are thought through and thought out that affect what a person does. It's not your physical heart he's talking about, but it's this heart that I've described, where your mind resides, your emotions reside, your will resides. That's the heart that he's saying you must protect above all else because that heart determines who you are, what you do, the kind of decisions you make. And it's interesting because... The Bible tells us very clearly that when God looks at us, He doesn't look on the outward. He doesn't look at the physical heart primarily. Of course, He wants it to keep pumping blood because that's how we stay alive. He looks at this heart that I've described, the place of the emotion, the will, the mind, the place where decisions are made, where thoughts uh, uh, spring from. He looks in there. You remember the story um, when the prophet got an instruction to go and anoint a new king of Israel in the house of Jesse. And the prophet arrives there and Jesse's father passes, asks his sons to pass before him. Of course, the first son comes and looks like a king, has the bearing of a king, some sort of regal, some sort of authority. And the prophet thinks this has to be the king. But God says to him, that's not the king. And, and about six other brothers, seven of them altogether, passed before the prophet. And each one had external attributes that made the prophet think, this is the king. But then all of them pass through and God says, none of them is the king. And then God crucially says to the prophet in, in 1 Samuel, the 16th chapter and the 7th verse. He says to him that people judge by the external appearance, by the outward, but he says, I, God, look at the heart. I judge by the heart. So how does God deal with us? He looks into our heart, but it's not the heart that's the physical heart. It's that place of our minds, our, our emotions, our will. That is where God shines his torchlight, his searchlight on. You know, in, Jer- in Jeremiah the 17th chapter and the 10th verse, the Bible says, But the Lord searches, but I the Lord, God says, search all hearts and examine secret motives. You know, we can act externally, we can, we can, we can put things out for people, but when God wants to find out what is actually happening, He searches the heart and searches the secret motives, the place where that drives what we do and why we're doing it. And then he goes on to say, I give all people their due rewards according to what their actions deserve. Yeah, He searches the heart. Now last week we spoke about certain symptoms. And we said when these symptoms exist, they beg a question. It's the way doctors work. You know, you go to a doctor and you say you have certain symptoms. The doctor has been trained when he sees certain symptoms to to think it could be this or this because of these symptoms. Now, you know, we've just come through this whole COVID thing. So everybody kind of gets symptoms and and things like that. You know, if if you went to your GP and you said to your GP, I've had this cough that won't go, go away. He says, how long have you been coughing? I've been coughing for the last six weeks. It just won't go away. And then you say to him, I've also had a terrible fever. Temperatures that I've, I've never had before. And my body is aching. And then also, I have found out I'm short of breath. I climb the stairs and I can barely breathe. And, and doctor, do you know... My chest is full of phlegm. How many know as you're talking, the doctor is taking steps back? Because without a doubt, this guy has COVID. You know, frankly, you don't even need a doctor. You know, if you came to me for prayers and you're not wearing a mask and you say, Pastor, I'm not feeling too well. uh, Will you pray for me? And you're standing right in my space. And I say, what can I pray for you about? I say, well, Pastor, I don't know, but I've just been coughing, coughing, coughing. And then you say, you know, Pastor, I can't understand it. I just take a few steps and I'm out of breath. And then you say, oh, P.I., you know, it's actually, do, have you ever had phlegm on your chest? My chest is filled with phlegm. When I cough, I cough phlegm out. And then you say, and I just can't understand the fever, Pastor. How many know that I'm going to be stepping back as I'm praying for you, that the Lord heal you? Because I don't need a doctor to tell me that more likely than not with these symptoms, you have COVID. Yeah that's how symptoms work they point towards something so last week we spoke about 15 symptoms that might beg the question is this heart diseased are we dealing with a heart disease and we went through all those 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 15 symptoms the first one we said was where your christian walk has become routine it's mundane it's dull it's dry you're going through motions. You know you're going through motions. You're really leading by your head now. The only reason you're there or, or going through the motions is because your head, common sense tells you this is what to do. That Your Christian life has been reduced to that common sense. When we find that, we say this symptom points towards a, a heart disease. Number two, Where you have lost the passion, the fire, the zeal that you had for the things of God. Especially when you can remember that it has not always been so. You can remember a time when you were passionate, zealous, on fire. No one had to encourage you. You were the one encouraging others concerning the things of God. But now it's no longer the case. Number three, when you no longer take steps of faith. You no no longer live by faith. Yes, you're a Christian. Yes, you go to church. Yes, you belong to this church. But you look at your life and every decision you take is by your intellect and by your natural senses. You've become safe in your walk with God. The whole concept of taking a step of faith and trusting God, the concept of moving without it all adding up, the concept of holding on to God and believing God is an alien one now. Everything must be calculated, analyzed, everything in place before you can take a step in, in areas of your life. Number four, anxiety and worry have become a constant companion. You're constantly anxious, anxious about everything, worried about everything, worried about life and the things in life. Number five, you have dropped off with regard to your service in the house of God. You were known in your local church. You served. You were, you were diligent. You were passionate to serve in the house of God. You were an example for somebody who loved God and who gave their all for God. But as time has gone on, it's almost like you've promoted yourself out of service to God. It has become something that others do. And sometimes as we get older, we feel that we we somehow in our our minds buy a lie that age means I serve less less in the house of God. We forget people like the prophetess Anna that stayed in the house of God for so many years praying for our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ to come. You remember the time when you served diligently and faithfully, but that is no longer the case. You no longer give like you used to. Give of your time, your talent, and your treasure. Right now, other things have gobbled up your time. You remember when you would be at the prayer meetings, you remember when you would be at Bible study, you remember when you would come to church early. But right now, other things have consumed your time. You don't have time for Bible study. You don't have time for, for, for prayer meetings anymore. You don't have any time for the things that you used to give your time to. You don't have time to help volunteer. You don't have time to help outside church. You used to do that at the start. You remember the men's fellowship, how you were a part of the men's fellowship. When was the last time you went Sat down with a group of men to encourage yourselves as you chat your cause in life. And you certainly don't give any more of your talent. In the early days, you used to give of your talent. Yes, you have an entrepreneurial mind. You're a businessman. You wanted to help others in church progress in that area. You've got computer skills. You volunteered it. You've, You've got certain talents that God gave you, graciously bestowed on you. And you used to use it for the kingdom of God, but no more. You could write, and you would write for the church magazine. You would write for what they would post online, but no more. And you, and, and you certainly don't give of your treasure like you used to. Oh, gone are the days when you would sow sacrificial offerings. Gone are the days when they would make a call for anything in church and you were a part of it. Right now, you've become so, we've become so intelligent and so sophisticated that we're ready to question everything. Why do they need a tithe? A tithe is the law. The law is Old Testament. We're in a season of dispensation of grace. What do they do with the money that we give to them? Even though incidentally, I think every church should should be open with their finances as we are here once a year and let everybody in church know what is done with every penny that comes into the church. I mean, if you've been here long enough, you know we do that once a year. So there's nobody in Jesus' house that cannot say, we know how much came in, and we know how much they spent. But then you, you're, you're raising all these barriers to giving. You're no longer giving those who are around you, who are less privileged than you. Your heart is no longer touched by what other parachurch ministries are doing, and you used to support them, but you don't anymore. You've bought the lie that that you have to reduce your giving because of the economic situation. The cost of living is rising. I'm saying if we understood the Bible, there was famine in the land, but Isaac sowed in the famine. And God blessed him for that obedience. You struggle with the spiritual disciplines. Bible study is a drag, reading the Bible is a chore. Let's be truthful to ourselves. Worship is tedious. When was the last time that we were carried away in worship? When was the last time that we shed tears in worship because we're so moved by the words of the worship? Now we come to church and we're second-guessing what, what they, I know Job, he likes this song. He's going to sing that song. Uh, he's going to sing that other song. We are in worship and our mind is on Sunday lunch. Something has gone wrong. Our prayer life has become dull and dry and routine. And you you know, prayer can be a delight, should be a delight, but it has become dry and routine. These are all symptoms that beg a question as to the state of a person's heart. You're no longer excited, number eight, about telling others about your faith. Remember how it was in the beginning. I remember how it was. And I even chastised myself. I couldn't wait to tell everybody that I had met Jesus. Excited about telling everybody. Nobody could sit next to me. You were going to have to hear that I had met Jesus. But after a while, this can become dull. We can become deadened. We start to go through routine and motions. So much so that you can actually have a Christian in an office and people don't even know that the person is a Christian. What a tragedy. You don't tell any, any testimonies anymore of what God has done. One of the things that commended the psalmist to God made him a man after God's own heart was the way the psalmist told testimonies. The, the psalms are full of his testimonies. Come and see what the Lord has done. When last did you ask people to come and see what the Lord had done in your life, to come and hear what the Lord had done? You know, it is so bad that God does things now and we attribute it to other people. It must, it must hurt God's heart. He blesses you, but it's the uncle or the father or the... or or the, or the, or the office that blessed you. He saves you, but we attribute it to somebody else. He moves in a particular way, but we are so deadened, so diseased in our hearts that we can't even see that this is the hand of God. May God deliver us. Where we are overcome by fear, Fear of the future, fear of sickness, fear of failure, fear of success. The list goes on and on, paralyzed by fear. And you know, when when there's fear, it means that there's no faith because fear and faith are, are, are flip sides of a coin. I'm afraid because I don't trust God. When we're not content with life, you know, this was this is this, this, this is a Christian virtue contentment that has gone out of the window. You know, um, my wife and I were playing a CD in the car that someone made for us, and it was um, a CD supposedly of Christian songs out of Nigeria. I'm not kidding. Shallah sure will tell you. The songs all had one thrust. A car, some money, a house, a wife, a child. So that's what the songs were about. Different expressions of them. The focus was these material things and, of course, the other blessings. So when that becomes the focus, contentment is, is alien to that kind of Christian culture. Because the, the culture has has taken been contaminated by a worldly culture where the only testimony that matters is that I bought another car that's an upgrade from the car that I was driving. What a tragedy that the Christian faith is reduced to something so mundane as a house or a car. What a tragedy. But unfortunately, that's what, 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 what we deal with. So even in the church, there's no contentment. People are competing with each other. Pressure is put on, especially on the younger generation, to try to measure up to standards that, that nobody should put them under pressure for. And they put themselves under pressure. So things like godliness with contentment being great gain, are scriptures that we don't even want to hear. The heart is diseased. Where you find loving others a challenge, this love of God that we receive and give is challenging. Where you don't have joy or a person doesn't have joy. The Bible says the joy of the Lord is our strength. That's the hallmark of a Christian. Should be the hallmark of a Christian. That part of what our Christianity gives us, part of what made us a specimen, was that in the midst of it all, we have joy. People couldn't understand that. You're going through the same challenges, but how come you're still so positive? How come the glass is still so always half full, not half empty? And when we, stru- when we are overcome and overwhelmed by life circumstances. And lastly, when we struggle to obey the Word of God. You know, all these are symptoms. If I was a doctor and you came to me with these symptoms, the first thing I would be saying is let's make sure that your heart is not diseased. And you know, the Bible actually puts all this in perspective. With six different hearts. And in these six different hearts, you will find every one of these sim- ev- These symptoms will lead to one or two of these hearts. The first one is a deceitful heart. Pro- Psalms 12 verse 2 says, Neighbors lie to each other, speaking with flattering lips and deceitful hearts. Where there's a deceitful heart, the heart is diseased. Where there's a heart that has in it lying and cheating and duplicity and scheming and manipulation, the heart is diseased. And you know, when I say deceitful, the tendency is to think of others. That's, with a message like this, we can sit smugly and think, that's really bad, deceitful heart. But let's, let's think about ourselves. Let's think about the relationships we have. It says there, neighbors lie to each other. So let's think about it. Husband and wife, friends. Let's let the Holy Spirit search our hearts. Don't worry about the person next to you. But is there deceit in your heart? Are you cheating? Is there scheming and manipulation in your heart? business arrangements. We are the people of the kingdom where our yes is yes and our no is no. That's how we should be. See how far we have fallen that that is not the case. So where there's a deceitful heart, the heart is diseased. Number two, where there's a hard heart. Proverbs 28 verse 14 says, Happy is the man who is always reverent, but he who hardens his heart will fall into calamity. A hardened heart has only one destination. It will eventually lead to calamity. And as we search our hearts, we might say, my heart is not hardened, but are parts of our hearts hardened? Are there areas that we haven't allowed Jesus to be The Lord of. You know, I always say to people that it's one thing to accept Jesus as Savior. It's a totally different thing to accept him as Lord. Lord means master. So there are a lot of people who have accepted Jesus as Savior and are going to heaven. But they face challenging times because they have not made Jesus Lord. When Jesus is Lord of your whole heart, He is in charge. What he says is what will happen. Because you are submitted to his lordship. Let's check our hearts and find out if there are areas of our hearts that are hardened. You know, you you, you meet a couple and you can tell that they've hardened parts of their hearts towards each other. Maybe the heart has been wounded by things they've done to each other, and they haven't learned to forgive each other. So their hearts have hardened against each other. You meet friends whose hearts have hardened against each other. There are people whose hearts are hardened against God. Let's, let's allow God's Spirit to soften our hearts The Passion Translation of that scripture says, overjoyed is the one who with tender heart trembles before God. That's what God is looking for, a tender heart that trembles, that vibrates at his frequency. But the stubborn, unyielding heart will experience even greater evil. Number three, the third type of heart, a proud heart. Now, if there's one thing that is clear that God detests, it's pride. Like the Bible says, it's an it's a, it's an abomination to him, and I think the reason is because he sees a lot of Satan in pride. That's the sin that Satan committed, that got him thrown out of heaven, that he had pride in his heart. Proverbs twenty-one verse four says, "A, a haughty look, a proud heart, and the plowing of the wicked are sin." Now, human nature, when we think of sin, we think of the obvious things. But pride, if we could grade sin, which we can't, pride is one of the worst sins where a person is full of himself, arrogant, looks down on others, has a superiority complex, does not understand that whatever they have as the grace of God is the grace of God. And so they look down on others, talk down on others. And you know, the worst kind of pride is the pride that is in the heart. That's what Satan had. He hadn't done anything. He just thought in his heart that, I, why can't I be like God? And the consequences were severe. So let's check our hearts to make sure there's no pride in our hearts. The one we follow, the hallmark of his personality was humility. Preferring others, there's just a power in humility. Let's not take on all the pride that we see and make it a part of our lives. Number four, an unbelieving heart. Now this might be strange because for some people they'll be saying, "But I'm I'm a believer, I have faith." Now the interesting thing is, you you. You have this phenomenon of an an unbelieving believer. So we've got to search our hearts. Because where there is unbelief, it totally, completely hampers what God would want to do with our lives. Because unbelief is really us telling God in no uncertain terms that we don't trust you. Anxiety and worry is a byproduct of unbelief. We don't trust you. We are not sure you can do it. The writer of Hebrews puts it this way in Hebrews 3 verse 12. It says, so search your hearts every day, my brothers and sisters. The Passion Translation. And make sure that none of you has evil or unbelief hiding within you. For it will lead you astray and make you unresponsive to the living God. Just the fact that I have unbelief that I don't trust God. You know, it's interesting how we will say with God nothing is impossible, but we've decided that there are some things that God cannot do. This is too bad for you, God. My marriage is too messed up, God. But you can do all things, but you can't sort out this, my husband that's just simply because there's unbelief in our heart. And the Bible says it will eventually lead a person astray and make us unresponsive to the living God. We enter religion, the rituals of of the faith. We lose the dynamism that comes from genuinely believing God because we have an unbelieving heart. It's instructive that when Jesus went back to his hometown, Nazareth. Now, if I was watching the events unfold, in my reckoning, we've seen a lot of miracles, but just wait until Jesus gets home. Then you will see some some miracles. How many would have thought that? Yeah? Because he knows them. You know, he has an affinity with them. He grew up there. There's a fondness in his heart for Nazareth. So, of course, as we're watching, you know, he's doing all kinds of stuff. You know, he's... You know, healing blind people, he's um, healing lame people, he's doing amazing miracles. The natural thing is to say this is all a build-up till he gets to Nazareth and then wait for the mother of miracles. But then the Bible says that he gets to Nazareth, Matthew 13 verse 58, and not much happens in Nazareth. Now, why didn't much happen in Nazareth? It was very simple. The people in Nazareth just didn't believe that he was who he says because they thought, give us a break. This Jesus, the carpenter's son, the carpenter himself, we know him. Ah, come on. We know his mother. We know his father. They lived on number 38 of whatever street. Don't you know them? He used to play football here with us. Jesus, he now says he's Messiah. Oh, come on. Everybody's soon going to say they are the son of God. The, the same Jesus who, who, who hit his finger with a nail trying to build the table is now the, the Messiah. I mean, come on. Isn't he the brother of so and so and the sister of so and so and so his sisters? And because they didn't believe the word, not much could happen there. When we don't believe the word of God, He's giving us the Word. The Word is a representation of, of the Word Jesus. When we don't believe this Word of God, not much can happen in our Christian life. When we take it for granted, when we trivialize it, when we don't wake up every day and know that this Word is sacred, we open the Bible to hear from God. You know, people are running all over the place looking for all kinds of magicians who can see for them and hear for them. And I'm saying you will get into trouble. He has said enough to us in his word. Take that Bible and hear from him. When you open the Bible, you're opening not an ordinary book. You're opening the word of God. Let it speak to you. You don't need to run around looking for all kinds of magicians to speak to you. Let the word of God speak to you every day as you read it. Number five, a cold heart. Matthew 24 verse 12, there will be such an increase of sin and lawlessness that those whose hearts once burned with passion for God and others will grow cold. Their heart once burned. There was a time when they were zealous, on fire. There was a time when their faith was contagious. Contagious. You stayed in their atmosphere and you were infected positively by what they carried. There was a time when they were the yardstick for dedication, loyalty, and commitment. There was a time when we marveled at the strength that they had to do the things of God. They had passion then. There was a time when they spoke their words carried so much weight because of the passion with which they spoke. There was a time when you looked into their eyes and, and as they talked about Jesus, and their eyes were not dead. Their eyes were alive with the passion of what they had in them. But that was some time ago. Now, they are lifeless. Their words are empty. They are dull. There's no spring in their step when they're coming to church anymore. They come in at whatever time they like. It's become a routine. Something has died. The flame, if it hasn't been extinguished, is flickering on its last breath. The heart has grown cold. And number six... These are diseased hearts, an unclean heart. The psalmist says in Psalms 51 verse 10, Create a new clean heart within me. Fill me with pure thoughts and holy desires ready to please you. You know, we can all look apart on the outside. But do you know that only God knows what is really in our hearts? Sometimes I fantasize as to what church would be like if as you came in, we gave you a gadget that you plugged to your heart. And when I'm up here, including mine, plugged to my, ha- to, to my heart, I can press any button and it will show your heart on the screen. How many know that if we, did, if we said we are doing that next Sunday, 70% of you will not be in church? How many agree with me? Yeah. Because our hearts are not clean. We look the part outside, but what is really in our hearts? Now, the interesting thing is that there's 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 a, there's, there's, a, there's an African word. They say you're forming for someone. Yeah, we can we can fake it for each other, but how many know we can't fake it for God? God sees the heart. So God says to us, "Clean up your heart." We lift holy hands and act the sanctimonious part. But on our hearts are things that would make a sailor. A sailor would even be challenged with what is on some of our hearts. The guy says hello to the sister in the foyer. Ah, hi, my sister. In his heart, he's undressing her. Something has gone wrong. And it's not just sexual things, sexually impure things. It's when the heart is unclean towards each other. Oh, well, my sister, I really love your hair. Very nice hair. Where did you make it? But the heart is saying, Look at you. I wonder where you got the money for this hair. Doesn't even look good on you. It happens. The heart is just not right. I wish you well, but my heart is not wishing you well. My heart is jealous or envious. The heart is not clean. These are diseased hearts. So let's check our hearts. Let's allow the Holy Spirit to start the process of this surgery that I believe He will perform on our hearts. Ezekiel, the 36th chapter as I bring this to a close. I will give you a new heart, verse 26, and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Let's prepare in this series for God to do a heart surgery on us to heal diseased hearts, wounds in our hearts, Things that we picked up along the way from circumstances, from encounters, from things that went wrong as we grew up. And so our hearts have become diseased. We want to avoid a fatal heart attack. And the way to do that is to allow the surgeon to come into our hearts and to start to perform the surgery that only he can perform, where he takes out all the stony parts of our hearts and gives us a heart of flesh. Can someone say amen? Amen. Amen. Father, we just thank you and bless you. We glorify your name. Help us, Heavenly Father, by your Spirit to submit ourselves to the scapel, to the knife of the surgeon, your Spirit, to take out everything that is not of you. And with all heads bowed, if there's anyone who hasn't given their lives to Jesus Christ and you want to do so. That's the start of this surgery of the heart where you bring your heart to him. You open up your heart and invite him in. The surgeon comes to take residence in the part of you that he is going to do a work, a work in. And so if you would open up your heart and receive him as Lord and Savior and you want to do so, why don't you just say this prayer with me? Heavenly Father, I receive your Son, Jesus, into my heart today. I give not just my life, but my heart to you, Heavenly Father. By your grace, I commit to turning away from anything that is displeasing to you, to live a life of obedience to you. I receive the gift of Jesus right now into my life. By this prayer, I confess that I am now a child of yours, born again today into your kingdom and your family. in Jesus name. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. Now, in our kingdom, in our culture, at this point in time, the Bible says that there is celebration going on in heaven, because new people have joined our families so Why don't we go ahead and just celebrate God? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. And amen.